Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. Don't you love this season? Imagine what it would be like to hear an eyewitness account of someone who had actually been with, walked with Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we have that in the gospel accounts. The gospel writers are largely those who were with Jesus. They heard Jesus. They ministered around him and with him for three and a half years. But now I want to introduce you to someone who was actually there. So tonight, open up your heart and welcome with me the shepherd of Bethlehem. My name is Josiah. I'm a shepherd. I come from the land of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Judah. I'm from the city of Bethlehem. What's your name? Steve, it's, ple- it's great to meet you tonight. Are you here all the time? It's a good place to be? Well, my name is Josiah, and I want to ask you, have you ever shaken hands with a shepherd before? First time. First time. Well, let me give you a clue, okay? You be sure to wash this hand a little bit later on. That's really important, Steve. You know, I, my father was a shepherd. My father's father was a shepherd. In fact, the shepherds in my family go way back to a very, very famous shepherd, King David, who was a shepherd king of Israel from Bethlehem, my hometown. But I haven't come here tonight to tell you about myself. What I want to do is introduce you to a man that I met. And he was really just a baby when I first met him. And I was just a little boy myself. But I will never, as long as I live, forget that night. I was on the feet in the fields just outside of Bethlehem with my brothers and my father. And and, oh, I wanted to be back home with with my, my mother and my sisters and my little baby brother Benjamin, who had just been born days before. But father said, No, Josiah, it's time you learn the family business. And so there we were in the middle of the night, out in the fields. And we sat around the the, the fire that night talking about our business, talking about our family, about little Benjamin, how excited we were for the next little member of our family. And as we talked about our things, suddenly it happened. The sky above us, it, it lit up like the daylight. And there before us stood an angel. Now you may wonder how I knew this was an angel. But you believe me, you would have known it was an angel too. When he spoke, that was not the voice of a man. And the first thing he said, I mean, we were trembling. We jumped into a pile of shepherds there on the ground, just trembling with fear. And the first thing he said was, fear not. I'm so sure you would have been afraid. He said, fear not, because I bring you good news of great joy. And it's for all people. Well, it was good news to find out that this angel was in a good mood with good news because I understand that just one angry angel can do a lot of damage. But he said, I bring you good news, and it's for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. He said, today is born unto you in the city of David. That's Bethlehem, my home. 
Today is born unto you a king, your savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, I don't come from a very, very religious family, but every boy and girl, man and woman in all of Judea, Galilee, Samaria, knew the promise that one day God would send our Messiah, our Savior, our Deliverer. But to think that of of all times that night, and of all places, Bethlehem? It was too much to believe. Well, the angel must have known that we had our doubts. Because he said, you need a sign. And I'll give you a sign. You'll find this newborn baby all wrapped up in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. Well, that was almost as hard to believe as the first thing he said, because do you know what swaddling clothes are? They're just strips of cloth, just almost like rags, strips that are left over from making garments. It's something that maybe a a poor family would wrap their child in, but but not the, the family of the Messiah. And then he said we'd find this baby lying in a manger. Do you know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough for sheep, for cattle, for donkeys, for goats. Have you ever seen the inside of a feeding trough when a donkey got done with it? It was too much to believe. But then suddenly, right after he said that, the whole sky, it was filled with angels. They were everywhere and all of them were crying out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. And then as quickly as they had come, they were gone. And it was dark again. And we sat there and looked at one another. We shook ourselves. We slapped ourselves to make sure we were alive, let alone awake. And then we did what you would have done. As fast as we could, we ran into the city of Bethlehem. And we asked people as we went, have you heard about a newborn baby boy born just today? We found a girl or two, but no boys. And finally, we just kept asking door after door after door. And then finally, we knocked on the door of an inn. And the man came out, put up his hand, said, I have no more room full. He said, sir, sir, we're not looking for a place to stay. He said, this might sound strange, but we're looking for a newborn baby boy. And he hung his head, almost as if he was ashamed. We said, what, sir, what is it? He said, well, there was a family that came here yesterday, a man and his wife, and she was ready to give birth. And all I had for them was a, a stable. He said, it was clean, very clean, but all I have is a stable. We said, well, show us where he is. Because as far as I know, about the only place you're going to find a manger is in a stable. And so he took us back to his stable. And I'll never forget the feeling as we looked around the post and into that stable when there wrapped up in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger, a feeding trough, was a brand new baby boy. Well, the couple, they motioned to us to come in almost as if they'd been expecting us. We told them about the visit that we'd just had from the angels and they looked at one another and they smiled as if they'd had visitations from angels. And then we did what you would have done. We got on our knees in that stable and we worshipped him and we thanked God. We asked them their names. The mother's name was Mary. Her husband's name was Joseph. And the baby, his name was Jesus. Do you know what Jesus means? It, 
it means our God, Jehovah, he will save. It was the perfect name for a Messiah. And we just didn't want to leave that place. We, we, I, I wanted to stay there as long as I could. We stayed for a long time. But then finally, Father said, boys, we have to get back to the sheep. You know, you can't leave sheep by themselves too long. Sooner or later, one goes, and they all just follow. And they'll walk right into a thicket, right off a cliff. So we had to get back. But on our way, we told everybody what we'd seen, what we'd heard, what the angel had said to us. Somehow it seemed like our lives had changed a bit that night. Our Messiah, he was here. We couldn't help but wonder, how will this, how will this turn out? Well, well, that wasn't the last time that I saw Jesus. You see, the family actually stayed in Bethlehem for close to two years. In fact, my, my little baby brother, Benjamin, he became one of Jesus' little friends. They, they would play together. They learned to walk at about the same time, talk at about the same time. Now, Jesus was a little bit faster than Benjamin at those things. He seemed to have an advantage. But they were little friends, and I'll never forget the day I said to Benjamin, Benjamin, would you like to go see Jesus today? And his face, just every time he heard the name of his little friend Jesus, his face just lit up. And so I picked him up, put him on my shoulders, and we began to make our way through the city of Bethlehem to the place where Mary and Joseph were living now with Jesus. And I began to hear things in the distance. I heard the cries of, of mothers and fathers that I knew crying out the, the names of little children that I knew. And I thought to myself, what, what, what's happening in, in Bethlehem? And I just, I just held... Benjamin tighter and tighter to me, and we made our way there. But when we got to the house, it was empty. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, they were gone. There wasn't even any sign that anybody had even ever lived there. Their, their animal was gone. All of Joseph's tools were gone. Now, little Benjamin was heartbroken. He'd wanted to play with his friend that day. And so holding him, we began to, to make our way home. And I, I just remember telling him, Benjamin, you'll, you'll see him again. We'll find them. They probably just moved. So we began to walk home. And then I turned this one corner and suddenly, Benjamin and I were, were, were surrounded by soldiers. Herod soldiers. Herod soldiers. One of them said to me, how old is that child in your arms? I, I was too frightened to, to say anything. He took a step towards me and he said, How old is the child in your arms? And I, I, all I could say was, Well, wh- why? What's the problem? And then he reached out to grab a hold of Benjamin. He, he grabbed him by his robe and I, I pulled away and was able to, to run for a bit and I ran as fast as I could up the streets and between the houses and down the alleys, but somewhere they caught me. And I just remember being thrown to the ground. And I don't know how long I lay there, but oh, when I woke up, the the pain in my head. Then I remembered Benjamin. And I looked and he was laying on the ground not far from me. I ran to him and I said, Benjamin, wake up, we have to go home. But he didn't answer me. I got down and I shook him and I said, Benjamin, wake up, we have to go home, something's happened. 
But he didn't move. And then I saw it. The blood. They, they had killed him. They had killed him. A little two-year-old boy. What had he done? Why did they let me live? They had killed him. I picked up his body in my arms and, and, and I just began to wander. I, I didn't even know how I could go home. How could I explain to mother and father what had happened? I didn't even really know what had happened. But finally I made my way home. And when father and my older brothers saw what had happened, the rage, oh, the anger began that day in our home. My father and my brothers and I, we went to the place where Herod's soldiers stayed. And we demanded answers. Why was this done to Benjamin? It wasn't long before we found out that all over Bethlehem, every little boy that was two years old and younger had died that day. That was why I'd heard the cries of those mothers and fathers. Do you know what Herod's soldiers told us? They said that Herod had heard that another king had been born and there was no way that he would allow his throne to be taken by another. Well, that was the day. Well, that was the day that I began to hate with everything that was in me. I hated Herod and everything that he stood for. Whenever he would go by in, in one of his, his ridiculous processions, I would curse him under my breath and spit on the ground as he walked by. If I had been a more courageous man, I would have done more. But oh, I hated him. The anger in my heart, it grew and grew and grew. I even began to wonder. I don't know if you've ever had this thought. I began to wonder, could there even be a God that allows things like this to happen to the most defenseless of all? I, I, I remember crying out, God, where were you when my little brother died? Why couldn't you stop it? Have you ever felt things like that? Oh, it took over my life. For years and years, inside, I was just such an angry man. But the years went by, and I'd always wondered what had happened to Joseph, to Mary, to Jesus. Where did they go? For years, we, we didn't hear a single word. And as the years went by, the, 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 the subject would come up. When will God send our Messiah? And I remembered that night. I remembered that night. Well, through the years, as I began to deal with all these things in my heart, I met a beautiful young maiden. Her name was Sarah. Sarah became my bride. Beautiful woman. I wish you could meet her. Sarah was from, from Bethlehem too. Sarah had a nephew who died the same day in the same way that Benjamin had died. But, but she wasn't angry at God like I was. She still had such a faith and such a love for a God that I, had, had no, I, I could no longer understand. And I'll never forget the day I asked her, I said, Sarah, how can you even believe there's a God when evil things like that happen. And she said to me, oh, Josiah, the terrible things that happen in this world, they're not God's fault. 
But whenever man decides he can do without God, the only thing that can happen is evil. And she said, yes, sometimes even that bad. But she said, it isn't God's fault. Well, very, very slowly, Sarah began to bring me back to the place where I at least began to cry out to God to heal my broken heart. And things began to change. I told you, she became my wife. Our firstborn child, beautiful little princess. I named her after a princess. Her name is Leah. Leah, oh, beautiful child. But, but Leah was born with a crippled foot, just a twisted up foot. And again, I blame God. Do you ever do that? When little things or big things go wrong, God, where are you? God, why didn't you? And I remember one night I thought I was all alone. And I said, God, why, why did you let this happen to our little girl? Well, I wasn't alone. Sarah heard me complain to God that night. And she came to me and, and got right, I guess you would say, in my face. And she said, Josiah, stop it. Why do you always blame God when things go wrong? Why do you always blame Him? Why is it always His fault? Why can't you thank Him for the beautiful child that we have? And stop being angry that one little piece doesn't work quite right. She's so wise. And again, she calmed me down and helped me grow through that time. And the years went by. But that wasn't the last time that I saw Jesus as a little, little two-year-old boy. Oh, it was, it was years and years later. A man came in to, to our cities in Judea. And he began to preach that the coming of the Lord was at hand and that we needed to prepare our hearts. He said, turn from your sins and prepare the way of the Lord. His name was John. We called him the Baptist because he called all of us to meet him at the Jordan River and to be baptized as a sign that we turn from our evil ways and we're seeking God with all of our heart. We all went out there. It seemed like all of Judea went out there to be baptized. My brothers and I were out there and my family. And I'll never forget this day. We were standing there on the banks of the Jordan River out by Jericho. And, and John and his disciples were baptizing people, so many people to be baptized. And it was just about our turn to go into the water. And then suddenly John stopped as he stood there in the water and he pointed back through the crowd and he said, look, right there, behold, look. That's the Son of God, the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. I thought, John, have you lost your mind? Do you know what the Lamb of God is? Well, to begin with, the Lamb of God is a, say it with me, it's a lamb. It's a lamb. It's not a man. But he was pointing at a man that was making his way through the crowd and he said, that's the Lamb of God. The other thing about a lamb is that it has to be absolutely perfect. The Lamb of God on the Day of Atonement has to be perfect and spotless, just like the lambs that we sell. If you're ever in the market for a lamb, you come and see me. I'll set you up. It has to be perfect, spotless, but this is the most important thing about the Lamb of God. It has to die for the sins of the people. <laughs> How could that have to do with a man? But we watched as, as the crowd parted and I began to ask the people around me. I didn't recognize the man. I, be, I began to ask some of the people around me, does anybody know him? Who is this man? 
And one man cried out. He said, yes, I know him. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth up in the north in Galilee. Oh, that name, when I heard it again after all those years, I thought this couldn't be, this couldn't be the same Jesus. And I asked that man, I said, did, did he always live in Nazareth? He said, no. I understand he was born in a little town not far from here, in the town of Bethlehem. I, could, I couldn't believe my eyes. This was Jesus again. And, and I watched as the crowd parted and I got pushed further and further away from him. I wanted to reach out and grab him and talk to him. And, and remind him about those early, early days. But I knew that it wasn't my place. And I just stood there and watched as Jesus walked into the water and walked out to John. And, and, and it looked like they argued for a moment about something. And I don't know what it was. It, it appeared that, that, that Jesus was saying, baptize me. And John said, no, I can't baptize. I don't know what it was exactly. But I guess Jesus won the argument because John <laughs> baptized him. But then when he came up out of the water, the strangest thing, I have never seen it before. I've never seen it since. A dove, a little dove, they're all over the place in my region of the world. This little dove came flying. That's not the strange part. It landed on Jesus. Doves don't do that. They're very, very timid little birds. You whisper and they fly away. This one landed on Jesus. And then the strangest part, it took off and began flying and it looked like Jesus followed it out into the wilderness. I wanted to run after him because the way he was going, there was nothing out there. But I knew I had things to take care of that day too. And so I went into the water with my family, my brothers, And we were baptized. We confessed to God that we were sinners and we needed His forgiveness. And something again in my heart had changed that day. Well, that wasn't the last day, the last time that I saw Jesus. It was probably, oh, maybe maybe two years later, and my brothers and I were up in the region of Galilee. Oh, you must see Galilee. It's beautiful, the hills and there around the Sea of Galilee. And we were grazing our sheep up in that area. And we came up over this one ridge and there in the valley down below us was a huge multitude of people, thousands and thousands of people. And all of them seated around a man who was there in the middle of them teaching them. Now, now I've seen lots of traveling rabbis in my day, but none of them that carried that kind of a crowd along with them out into the wilderness. Well, being the curious shepherds that we were, we made our way down into that crowd and I couldn't believe my eyes. It was, it was Jesus again. It was him. I wasn't going to let him get away this time. And then we listened. We listened to him as he began to teach the people. Oh, now like I said, I've, I've heard so many rabbis in my day. And most of them, do you know, they, they speak in great big words to impress you with how much they know and how little you know, I guess. But Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke in words we understood. He talked about things that we understood. That day, he talked about sheep and he talked about shepherds. Now, I'm a shepherd and I know sheep. I'm not a very religious man, but I know shepherding. And he told this story 
He said, suppose that one of you had a flock of a hundred sheep. That's a nice little size flock. But you had a hundred sheep and one of your lambs went astray. Like I said, it happens all the time. He said, wouldn't you leave the 99 in safekeeping with a friend and search everywhere until you'd found that one lost sheep, dead or alive? And that's exactly what we would do. You can't lose one of your sheep. They're your livelihood. They even become almost like members of your family. Well, until it's time for a sacrifice or something. But you can't lose one of your sheep. And so you do, you search. And then, and then he went on with this story. And he said, and, and when you found that lamb, wouldn't you put it up on your shoulders and carry it back to your friends? And wouldn't, would you not celebrate that your one lost lamb had been found? That's exactly what we do and have done many, many times. Well, then Jesus got to his point. He said, let me tell you, there is so much rejoicing in heaven when one sinner turns from their sin and returns to God. Then there is over 99 so-called righteous people who think they don't need to repent. Hey, we all need to repent. We all have sinned and come short of God's standard for our life. We understood that Jesus wasn't talking about sheep He was talking about us, people like you and me who wander all over the place sometimes. Do you ever get off track? Have you ever done anything or said anything that you knew was wrong and you even knew it was wrong as you did it, but you did it anyway? Jesus was telling us that God invites people like us to come back to him. And not just that, that he rejoices when we do. He loves to see us turn our face towards him and run towards him. Well, then Jesus started talking about shepherds. Now I'm a shepherd and I know sheep. Jesus said this. I didn't understand it. He said, I am the good shepherd. I thought, well, no. If you're a shepherd, where's your flock? Where's your sheep? If anything, he would have been a carpenter. But he said, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd will lay down its life for the sheep. He said, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. They hear my voice and they follow me. But he said, again, I will lay down my life for the sheep. I had no idea what Jesus meant. But I watched as he did this. After he taught us, they began to bring people to him. They were sick people. Sick with all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. And they would just bring them right to Jesus. And he would touch them. And the sick would be healed. They brought a man to Jesus that they say had been born blind. And all Jesus did was just touch him. And he said, now you can see. And he could see. You should have seen that man see. He jumped up and he, he, he began to look at things that he'd never seen in his life. His family there with him. He never laid eyes on his children. They brought a man to him who had been deaf from birth. Healed him. They brought the the lame and sick and even the lepers Jesus touched. And they were healed. Anybody that Jesus touched, they were healed. All he did was touch them and speak a simple word of healing to them. And they were well. I'll never forget what I did. I turned to my wife. 
And without saying a word, she knew exactly what was on my mind. And she put out my arms and she put Leah into my arms. And I, and I pressed my way through that crowd. And, and I don't know why I did this, but when it was my turn, I stood right before Jesus and I got down on my knees and I said, Jesus, I know that you, you could not remember me. I said, I knew you when you were a little boy, when you were born in Bethlehem. He looked me in the eyes and he said, oh, Josiah, how did he know my name? I hadn't told him my name. He said, Josiah, it's you. And I said, Jesus, this is my little girl. Leah, she was born with a crippled foot. Is there anything you can do for her? He looked me in the eyes again and he said, oh, Josiah, look, look. It's already done. Look. He took his hand off. He had already touched her foot. And for the first time in Leah's life, she was wiggling her toes. She'd never done that. Never. And the expression on her face was something new was happening in my little girl's life. I put her down on the ground, and for the first time in her life, that little girl ran. She ran. She ran right back through that crowd and jumped into Sarah's arms and hugged her neck. Then Sarah put her back on the ground. And, and, and little Leah looked around and she saw him. She saw Jesus. And she ran to him and jumped into his arms and squeezed him so hard. I wish you could have seen the look on Jesus' face as he held my little girl. It was so clear to me that this wasn't just Jesus' job. He loved my little Leah. He sat there and he talked to her. He said, Leah is your name. She said, yep. He said, did you know that that's the name of a princess of Israel? And she said, yes, that's what my daddy calls me, his princess. And, and Jesus looked at me and he nodded like, good job, Josiah, good job. And then Jesus said, Leah, do you love God? And she said, oh, I do, I do. Jesus said, Leah, love him all your life. Have faith in him. Trust him all your life. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And then he put Leah down on the ground and that girl started running and she hasn't stopped running to this day. And everywhere she goes, she tells people why she can run. That it was Jesus that touched her. Oh, so many people came for Jesus. And he touched and he healed anyone who would allow his touch. He'll touch your life if you allow him to touch your life. But Jesus didn't just heal bodies that day. More importantly, he healed homes and hearts. Families that I knew of that, that could do nothing but argue with one another, where there was nothing but, but bitterness and anger in the household suddenly because they'd listened to Jesus and allowed his touch there was peace, there was love and, and, and joy in those homes. Well, the sun went down that day and, and the next day when, when, when we arose, we went to look for Jesus, but he and his disciples, they were gone. And I wondered if we'd ever see them again, but I tell you, our lives that day were changed. Well, that wasn't the last time that I saw Jesus. 
We were in Jerusalem maybe a year, year and a half later. We always go to Jerusalem for all of the feast days because as, as good Jewish men, that's where we belong. But I must be honest with you, we do pretty good business on, on the feast days too, selling lots and lots of lambs. So it's very good for, for our, our finances. And so we were there taking care of business. But as we came into Jerusalem this year, it was just different. I don't know how to explain it to you. But there was just a sense in the air that the, the things were not right. When we got to town that day and began to, to set up our stall to, to sell our lambs, somebody told me, that there was a, a riot about to start over at the palace of Pilate, our beloved governor, who'd been sent from Rome to keep peace in our troubled land. And we made our way over there. And, and when we, we came into the courtyard there, it, it, it was obvious what was happening. See, every year, Pilate would allow us to have one of our prisoners released from his prisons. Now, they were usually men who had been arrested for no good reason except politics. This year, he said, it was our choice. Whom shall I release to you? And there were two men that were up on the platform beside him, one on his right and one on his left. One of the men I recognized right away. Everybody knew this man. He was a terrible man. The kind of men that you parents want to keep your children away from. His name was Barabbas. He was trying to overthrow the government. He was, he was a thief. They say that he had committed murder. And then there was another man. I didn't recognize him at first. He had already been terribly beaten. As I pressed in closer, I couldn't believe my eyes. They told me, that's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the healer. Jesus the preacher. I How could that be Jesus? What had he ever done to anybody except to heal and to teach and to help people? Oh, I had heard that he had said, and you're not going to believe this, that he had threatened to tear down the temple and build it back up again with his own hands. And they believed him. Do you know how many years it had taken to build that temple? And it still wasn't done. But they took his threat seriously. And now... Some of our leaders wanted him dead. And I thought to myself, well, if this really is our choice, this won't take long. And then Pilate cried out the question, whom shall I release to you? And as I was just about to cry out his name, Jesus, you wouldn't have believed your ears. It was, it was as if the whole crowd of people had rehearsed it and they all cried out, give us Barabbas. Barabbas. And then I thought, where were all Jesus' friends? Why didn't anybody cry out his name? Where were all those disciples he traveled with? Not one of them in the crowd cried out his name. And neither did I. Then I realized they were probably just as afraid as I was. Afraid that whatever had gotten Jesus into the trouble, maybe we would end up in the same, in the same situation that he was in. I, couldn't, I could not believe what was happening before my eyes. Pilate seemed as if he wanted to let Jesus go. And he said, why? Well, what evil has he done? And the crowd just cried out more and more, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And then Pilate said, well, what shall I do with Jesus? You wouldn't have believed it. The crowd screamed out, crucify him, crucify him. 
And that's exactly what happened. Pilate handed Jesus over to the soldiers. And they took him away to crucify him. You see, they took a beam of wood much larger than this. And they tied his arms out to the end of it. And they made him carry that through the streets of Jerusalem. And I followed at a distance as people shouted terrible things at him. People spit at him as he walked by. People reached out and slapped at him. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what was happening. I wish I'd been a man of greater courage. But I watched as they took him all the way outside the city walls of Jerusalem to a place called Golgotha, the place of a skull. And there, on the crossroads, a busy, busy road just outside the streets of Jerusalem, they laid him down on that cross. They took that beam and they connected it to a much larger beam. And then they laid Jesus down upon it and with spikes they drove the spikes through his flesh into the wood and fastened him to the, to the cross. My heart was breaking in me. And I watched as they took that cross and they raised it up in the air and dropped that into a hole in the ground. And he hung there. And from where I stood, I just began to... To, to wonder again, where is God? If there's anyone who doesn't deserve this, it's Jesus. But then I began to remember the things that, that I'd heard about him through his life. I remembered what the angel said that night. Unto you is born a Savior. And I thought, God, if this is your way of saving, I don't understand it. Then I remembered what John the Baptist said. You remember? He said, Behold the Lamb of God. A Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And here he was, just like the Lamb of God. As far as I know, Jesus never did anything to hurt anyone. He was spotless. And there he was, dying. And then I remembered. Oh my goodness, I remember something that, that, that I couldn't even believe it was still in my mind. Something I learned in Beit Sefer, which is, is, is school that we go to as little Jewish children to learn Hebrew and to learn our scriptures. And we memorize all kinds of scripture. And I remember as a little boy memorizing this passage from Isaiah. And I remember going home to my father and asking my father, what, what does this mean? Father put me on his knee and he said, Josiah, let me tell you what that means. I don't know. <laughs> and my father before me didn't know. But it goes like this. He is despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, but we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we didn't care. But surely he has borne our sorrows and carried our griefs. But we thought that he was stricken by God, stricken and afflicted by God. But Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
And the payment for our peace with God was put upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. And then I began to wonder, could this, could this maybe be God's way of saving? Just like the Lamb of God, the innocent that dies for the guilty. And then I remembered what Jesus said Himself. I'm the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for my sheep. Through that afternoon, I didn't hear Jesus one time say, no, no, please, please, no. Not one time did he ask for his own mercy, but he did ask for forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Maybe the them was all of us. All of us. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. How could this have happened? God gave us our Messiah and we threw him away. I stayed there long, long through the afternoon and, and I'll never forget this. In the middle of the day, it got dark like daylight. I mean, it got dark like, like midnight. Suddenly there was no more sun. And the ground began to shake. And I thought, this is God's judgment upon us for what we've done here, what we've allowed here today. But the ground stopped shaking. And the sun, eventually it came back out. And Jesus died. And my heart absolutely broke. Yours would have too. And I watched from a distance as a group came Several women. I think one of them was his mother, Mary. Oh, I wanted to run to her and tell her how sorry I was. But I knew it wasn't my place there at that moment. And I just watched as those women and, and, and a couple of men took the body of Jesus off that cross, wrapped it up in cloths that were not much different from the swaddling clothes he was wrapped in as a baby. And they carried him away. And I stood there that day alone with my pain and my questions and my broken heart. And I just remember as I stood there, as the sun was beginning to set, I just hung my head and I wept and I wept and I wept. I thought that God had given us his best and it was gone. That wasn't the last time I saw Jesus. We stayed in Jerusalem, oh, for weeks. We had business to take care of, yes. But we just didn't want to leave. There was something that kept us there. And everywhere we went in those days, whenever you had a talk with anybody, sooner or later, someone would ask the question, what did you think about the crucifixion of that Rabbi Jesus from Nazareth? Do you think he was the Son of God? Stories began to surface of so many people whose lives had been touched and healed. I told our story about Leah to so many people. But people would say, do you, do you think he was who he said he was? Was he really the Son of God? Was he the Messiah? So many people said, yes, they believed that he was. But look, it's too late. He's gone. It's too late. God gave us his son and we've thrown him away. Well, those little groups of people began to gather whenever we could. Five, ten, 30, 
50 people. I'll never forget, there was one night, there were over 500 of us together at one time, in one place, telling our stories of Jesus, reminding each other of what he had said and how he touched our lives, and hoping that somehow, and praying to God that somehow it wasn't too late, that he would maybe give us another chance. And there that night, as, as we sat there together, comforting one another and hoping beyond hope, suddenly, don't ask me where he came from. Jesus came walking right into the middle of that group. There he was, alive from the dead. How did he do that? Dead men don't rise, do they? But he did. And then I thought, oh my goodness, he is going to be so angry with us. But none of us stood up to defend him. But when he spoke, they weren't angry words. When he spoke, he said, peace. When he spoke to us, he said, my peace I give to you. He said, believe. And I think he looked right at me when he said, peace I give to you. Oh, that was the night. That was the night once and for all, that this shepherd became a lamb in the flock of the good shepherd. Oh, and I'm still a shepherd, but I don't just live for the flock anymore. I still take care of business, but as long as I live, my life will be lived. Tell the story of the real shepherd of Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth wrapped up in human flesh, just like all of us were when we were born, came as a perfect sacrifice for every man, woman, and child, as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. The story of the real shepherd of Bethlehem is the story of Jesus, who came to shepherd your soul and to shepherd my soul. The Jesus that even tonight is ready to take over what's left of your life if you'll give it to him. You've tried maybe long enough, maybe for years, to try to get your life together. And if you could have done it by yourself, you would have done it by now. Jesus tonight, the real shepherd of Bethlehem, just asks you, calls you to come to him. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's not a 2,000-year-old story. It's today's story. And God, your Heavenly Father, invites you into that story to live a life submitted to Him. Yeah, to turn from our sins. But the best part of it, the best part, the most important part, is to turn to the God that loves you, who proved it by sending His Son to a cross for you. It's not a fairy tale that I told you today. There really were shepherds, just as there really are plumbers today and mechanics and housewives and executives who have empty hearts, empty, empty, vacant, void hearts until you let Jesus Christ fill them with his peace and his love and his joy. And I invite you tonight, if you have never, up to this point in your life, if you have never said yes to Jesus, say yes to him tonight. Do what Mary did. Do what Joseph did. You know what Mary did? She just said, yes, Lord. Yes, be it unto me according to your will. Would you maybe say that to God tonight? I want to lead you, if I can, in a word of prayer. I believe that there are some of you in here tonight that are ready to do that. 
they're ready to just say, Jesus, here's, here's what's left of my life. Would you please take it? Forgive me. That's the kind of prayer I want to lead you in, just so I don't take you by surprise, okay? The scripture says this, take words with you and go to God. That's how you come to God, with your words, with prayer. Would you pray with me right now? If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just say these words and say them out loud. Father God, I believe that Jesus came for me. I believe he died because of my sins for me in my place. And I thank you. And I want to give you what's left of my life. Please forgive my sins. Come and live in my heart and take over and make the rest of my life what you want it to be. Thank you, God, for your amazing love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer right now, uh, we want to welcome you to God's family. We just want to, and I guess, the, the most important thing is that God knows that you prayed that prayer. But the Bible also says it's important to confess before men. So before you leave here tonight, and I don't know if Skip wants to close in any other way, but before you leave here tonight, you need to let somebody know, I just gave Jesus Christ my heart, and I want to start living for him. God bless you. Thank you. It's been so good to be with you here tonight. Well, would you stand with me? Wasn't that fabulous? I've known Bill Welsh <laughs> when we were young. Yeah. That was a long time ago. It was. <laughs> and uh, Bill was pastoring a church out in Palm Springs, California. Since then, he's been overseas and did missions work, started churches in Australia, came back from Australia, joined our staff here at Calvary, ran our school of ministry, was a missions pastor here. He's now in Huntington Beach, California at a church called The Refuge. And uh, the Lord's given him property right off the 405 freeway in Huntington Beach, and it's just a great refuge for so many people out there. Um, we're just thrilled you were here tonight oh, uh, with us. It's great to be back we in the house part of us. My bride Joy is up there somewhere. Well, let's, let's find out Thank where. You. Joy, wave your hands. Joy? Oh, she's right there in the front of the balcony. Okay. My lovely good, lady. Good. We love you guys out here. I am so excited about what God is doing in Albuquerque, and we still feel so tied to this congregation, and, and the, the heart ties go way, way back to those days in the desert. So keep it up. All right. God bless you. Thank you, Bill. God bless you.